Hello and welcome to episode 231. I'm your host, Jerry Gibson, and today none other than Lee Drew joins us. Uh, he has a, an impressive uh, resume right now. He's the director of refereeing for the PSA. He's just completed a successful long and long tenure uh, with Squash England, running their junior program, and he's also, amongst other things, uh, the lead developer of the World Squash Officiating. And uh, we're going to get into all of that. We're going to begin by talking about Squash England's uh, junior program program and the the amazing summer that the men's team had winning the world junior team championship uh, we're also going to look at the changes that are taking place uh, I think within the last couple of years anyways in, in terms of officiating we see it a lot in the pro game where officials are trying to get players to play more free-flowing squash uh, and so there's a bit there have been several changes and uh, nuances when it comes to calling lets and strokes and we get into a lot of that. Uh, we also talk about the new uh, review system where a player gets four reviews plus one in the fifth game and we talk about uh, why that change was implemented and how he feels uh, it's played out thus far. We also uh, have a discussion about uh, movement issues off the ball in particular uh, Mustafa Asal's uh, latest uh, the, the controversy that's been following him over the last couple of tournaments and he, how he feels about it and uh, what he feels maybe Mustafa needs to do uh, in order to move on from that because it seems to be following him around uh, quite a bit uh, throughout the tournaments. Is there a conspiracy there against Mustafa or not? We talk a little bit uh, about that as well. Uh, I, for one, uh, don't believe there is, but uh, uh, we have to take a look at the, the movement and the issues and apply the rules to everyone. Uh, I'm, I'm sure we would all agree with that, but uh, yes, we do get into that, uh, talking a bit about the the latest incident in Egypt, uh, and also with respect to um, not not so much so in uh, Qatar. But uh, we talk about that. We also talk about the uh, the outdoor squash venues and uh, the issues that were uh, that that took place there in uh, Cairo with the wind, with the sand on the court uh, as a result of the outdoor venue. I don't, I'm not sure how the players feel about it. I've talked to a couple and they weren't too pleased. Uh, I wonder what uh, the PSA and Lee uh, have to say about that. So uh, we talk a bit about that as well here on episode 231 today. But before we get into that, I just want to talk a little bit about my, about the sponsor for this podcast, our new sponsor open squash uh, they've been with us now for a month so uh, it's been great having them on board they're a new york based nonprofit dedicated to bringing thousands of new people into the sport by making it more accessible and more affordable to everyone one of the ways open squash fulfills this mission is through their junior scholarship fund which helps support the 25 percent of juniors with financial aid to this end open squash is holding its annual fundraiser this coming friday October 7th, which will feature three special guests, the dedicated open squashers, Ali Farag, Gina Kennedy, and Victor Quang. It's going to be an amazing night with an exhibition match, play the pro, food and drinks as well. So you, if you're in the area, definitely want to try to drop by for that. It's a great cause. So details are on the opensquash.org website. If you're close to New York City, it'd be great to attend. And if you aren't, please consider donating. Uh, 
if we're going to grow this game of squash and bring everyone in, we need the support. Uh, we need to support the nonprofit organizations that are making it happen, and Open Squash is definitely uh, doing that for us. So if you're in the area, please try to attend that event. That's Friday, October 7th. Uh, you've got Ali Farag, Gina Kennedy, Victor Quint, exhibitions, play the pro, food and drinks. You don't want to miss that one, and it's a great cause. Also great is episode 231 with Lee Drew. Hi, Lee. Hey, Jerry. How you doing? Good. How are you? Good to see you. Yeah, not bad. Thanks. Yeah, Good yeah. to see you. Been a while. It's been a while, yeah. Uh, I've seen you a few times, though, there on the Squash TV. It looks like you've been uh, extremely busy the last, uh, I guess, since the summer, basically, leading up. And then the last few, uh, last month or so, uh, just with the first few events, eh? Yeah, yeah, it's all been crammed in and and always busy, so it's yeah. good. Keeps me out of trouble, or not, or not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It depends on what the the cast of characters you're hanging out with uh, after after yeah. hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. How yeah. have you been? How's your summer been? That was good. I got back to Canada, uh, and that was uh, that was awesome. My youngest daughter's starting uh, university, so. Uh, the the nest is uh, empty, as they say. Right. Okay. Yeah. So my wife's out now, and uh, with her friends, and I'm here doing this podcast. Uh, <laughs> so it's very quiet, uh, but yeah, that's yeah, it's good. good. It's good. Yeah, played a little bit of squash when I was back at home as well, and uh, yeah, uh, we had the Canadian Nationals. I think uh, yeah, the Nationals were ongoing while I was back home as well. So oh, okay, nice Vancouver. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. So did you get across and watch it a bit? I didn't get over there, no. But uh, I, I'm from Halifax, so that that's like uh, another the other end, other other side of the kind of say eight hour flight almost. So. Yeah, so it's more Toronto ish. Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, Lee, th thanks for uh, agreeing to come on. Um, uh, what time is it there? You, yeah, you're six six. Uh, six p.m. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's per perfect timing uh, for us to do this. Um, yeah. Now, before we get into all the uh, all the PSA uh, stuff and the the officiating uh, stuff, that I you know got some some decent questions for you, I think. But uh, I know you the last time you came on might have been two three years ago, uh, and uh, you were with Squash England then. Uh, you yeah. you left uh, I think it was about a little over a year ago, I guess. And uh, the, over the summer, obviously, uh, uh, the the men won the World Junior Teams. Uh, Finley. Uh, with uh, willing Withington, Withington. yeah Finley with Withington got to the final of the the men's individual and Serhan Nigam did really well uh in the quarters almost beating the number one seed obviously that's the fruit of a lot of the labor uh that that you put in uh I'm sure over those years so just wondering uh uh how you how proud you must have been uh, uh to see uh how things played out over the summer yeah I mean I mean obviously it's a it's a great effort from those those guys involved so you know the players that you've mentioned um all the ones that came through the, all the boys that were in the team that that managed to get that gold medal and um i think it was it was great to be able to see that and witness it and obviously having been part of it for for a long time i mean i guess um i was sort of leading that pathway for 7 7 to 10 years or something so it's a pretty long long journey um Probably, I was probably leading the pathway for seven years, and then obviously uh, involved with England squash before that as well. So I was with with the organisation for ten over ten years by the time I left. So 
um, it was quite a big change for me. But then to see the way the the juniors are performing and the way that they're coming through, I mean, obviously there's still a lot of work to do, and there's a lot of work for even those guys that were taking home gold medals, silver medals, um, things like that. There's a lot of work for them to do to get to the professional level, but it gives them an incredible base. And yeah, I mean, obviously I'm proud of the the part I played in that, but also. I know that it's a lot bigger than me as well. So I know that it's down to, you know, a lot of people, a lot of cogs, cogs that that sort of make it tick. Um, the the home environments that they work in are unbelievably important. You know, they're the crucial bits where they're they are day to day in the work they're doing with their personal coaches and what have you. So so I sort of I am proud, but then also know that there's so much that goes in from lots of different areas. And I know where the really crucial bits lie. Um but I do think that the message and the way that England has um, sort of progressed the the style of play to to start working towards the professional game, um, I think that's hugely important. And, you know, that started with Chris Robertson when he came in as national coach. And it's sort of, I was lucky enough to work with England in that sort of era with the golden era of players and then see that transition and be part of the transition with David Campion, as well and then obviously Josh Taylor coming in with that sort of support within the pathway as well so um yeah i mean it's it's great to see it's a long answer but that you know it's a huge part of my life it's a huge part of my life it's a huge um system as it is and it is you know there's a lot of work to be done and and hopefully it'll keep keep progressing to be honest with that foundation yeah we hope so i mean obviously uh, egypt's been dominating for quite some time now and it was a sort of a refreshing to see something like like that happen and and then also uh, uh, you know two non-egyptians uh, in the uh, in the men's final there in the individual uh, and also the women's uh, uh, even on the pro uh, tour there there are a lot of uh, non-egyptian girls uh, coming through uh, as well but uh, you spoke the, those about, ones up there are still very young though that's that's the yeah, yeah, thing, yeah. So. oh yeah no uh, hanya's got a few years left i think yeah, and go and hard. And, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so there's there, there is, and it is good. But then you know, when you look at the the Egyptian players, they when you've got that many loading the sort of the top echelons of the sport in the men and women, you only need to hit a couple of successes every once in a while that that make it, and all of a sudden you're just you're, you're filling it up again. So you know, yeah. you, you only had to look at Orthy's performance in the world, you know, in the CIB Egyptian Open that's just gone, and the fact that she. She took someone like Sabrina Sobi all the way to five, and yeah. she's what fifteen years of age. Amazing, yeah. And then I guess there was a fourteen-year-old on the Egyptian uh, junior team who performed uh, the men's made team. semis, yeah, yeah, semifinals. Yeah. Fourteen, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, yeah. so um, you know, I think there's still there's still Egyptian players coming through there, and you you know you'd hope so as well because. Mm-hmm. The, the style they play is a, a sort of account, you know, it's different to a lot, how a lot of the countries play and we need different styles. You know, the game does miss having your Australian players up there or, or, you know, the Pakistani players right up in the top 20, because they all play with their own brand of squash. So hopefully these, these countries will sort of reignite and, and find the, that form again, because it, it's good for the game. Yeah, I mean the Egyptian players that are out there now—they're—they're they're extremely exciting. I mean, some of the, the most exciting guys out there, obviously, are the Egyptians. We don't want to see that uh, uh, disappear like we have with the, the Pakistanis or, or with the Australians, unfortunately, uh, over the last little while, anyway. 
No, exactly. You want to you want to see those those contests and those sort of different styles of um, play actually, you know, going against each other and and sort of, you know, you only have to look at sort of a Paul Cole against one of the exciting Egyptian players in the way they play the open play versus the very sort of um, traditional um, style of squash. Um, and then the intricacies of what Cole's doing within that. I mean, yeah. you know, th- those are the sort of matchups you want to see and you want to see the different styles coming up e- against each other. And then you want to see who wins out on it. Absolutely. Uh, you mentioned uh, Josh Taylor and uh, I had him on about a month ago and the, the guy, unbelievable how young he is. I couldn't believe how young, young mm-hmm. he is and, and, and to have achieved so much uh, as a coach at that age, but getting to know who his backstory, I can understand, but he's just left, uh, I think, Squash England uh, as well. So just wondering uh, uh, what's coming through. Are we, are you guys still in good hands Um going forward I think so I think so you've got you've obviously got David Campion at the at the sort of the, the helm as a national coach he's very switched on with the game and knows what he wants and you've also got Chris Robertson there in a, in a support helping to to shape the systems and piece it all together so I think with those two at the top of the tree I think you you're in good hands for sure so I think I'd expect to see you know, it's like any system, isn't it? It needs to rely on the system more than the individuals. So hopefully you, an individual comes out, they replace it with someone who's equally as good that puts their own mark on it, their own spin and sort of can can evolve and adapt it. So that's what I would hope would be would be happening moving forward. Yeah. And uh, to the casual uh, onlooker, uh, like myself, even um, I, I would I thought that it was a, a bit of a surprise uh, that that they did win uh, the men's uh, teams. But uh, according to Josh, he he kind of felt that uh, you know they had a, a really good opportunity uh, to win it. Um, did you see it that way as well? I think so. I think we're, I think it was on. It was on over the last couple of years when when COVID struck. Um, you know, I felt that we had some strong teams there, some strong girls teams, some strong boys teams. So I think I think it was on. I mean, doing it and achieving it is, a, is another matter entirely because, you know, to win a major championship like that, getting over the finishing line, it takes, you know, it takes a lot to actually close it out. So you, you can never guarantee it. But I think um, I think it was definitely on in one of those sort of three years. And obviously we, we weren't able to, to have a go in the previous couple or because of um, the pandemic, but to be able to do it on the return is great, especially when you think about the months that the, these players were in lockdown, where they actually couldn't couldn't play and couldn't train, and they were having to keep their motivation up, you know, at home and training. Yeah. So, so they've done really well. Really bad in England, I think, too. Uh, particularly bad in terms of the restrictions and protocols uh, in England. In, in yeah, it was. It, yeah, yeah, well, it was for a while, and you know, it was completely locked down where they couldn't go on court at all. Um, and then you got elite play opening up, but of course, not all the players were eligible to be able to be part of that. So there were some that were frustrated that were in the team that they actually couldn't get on court for a lot longer than the others. So you know, yeah. they've done they've done incredibly well to then get themselves back up to that level very quickly. Yeah, uh, for sure. Well, that 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 was a great achievement over the summer. Something uh, uh, to look forward to going forward. A strong uh, English uh, squad. Uh, I mean, you guys have got some some good young players out there uh, right now already. So, 
Um, it bodes well, uh, hopefully. Yeah, definitely. And you want to see them progressing and developing and and evolving their squash for sure. So yeah, hopefully, hopefully exciting times. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, now I want to talk to you a little bit about the uh, the early uh, doors here in the the PSA season. Um, obviously, we had uh, we've got Mohammed El Sherbagi, Ali Farag winning the first two men events, uh, male events. Uh, Hanya winning the uh, the first female event. And Noran winning in Houston, uh, and also she's gotten to the final of every event since the beginning of last season. Already doing it again this season, so I mean it bodes well for uh, for her. Uh, it was two two great finals there. So just wondering, uh, and also we've got guys like uh, young guys like Victor Quinn and uh, Abdul Al Tamimi, who's been playing well and be uh, uh, showing signs of maybe. Uh, uh, progressing amongst other uh, young players. Amanda Sobe played well as well. So just wondering what your take is so far on the uh, on the results uh, that we've seen. Uh, any surprises uh, in your estimation? Um, yeah, maybe not not surprises in the terms of where they're at. Obviously, seeing El Shabagi win in Qatar, it's a, a great achievement. It was yeah. there was a lot of scalps going in in Qatar. You know, right the way through the event to see. Victor Cruan get so quickly to a final and then obviously back it up in Nantes as well was was great for him. I think he's he's clearly the biggest sort of um, surprise package so far, you know, to to go that deep into a tournament to make it all the way to to the final and just lose out to El Shabagi in Qatar. I think that's an incredible achievement and something that he's going to look to build on for sure. Um, so I think that's that's huge. Um, I think it's lined up in a, incredibly excitingly when you look at the fact that you've got those top players up there. You've got players that can take chunks out of each other, but you've got Farag um, and Cole who are battling out for that one spot. You've got Asal chasing very very quickly on the on the heels, and you've got El Shabagi reignited, and especially that sort of that partnership that he's got going on with Gregory Gaultier, it sort, yeah. of, sort of makes it quite captivating viewing when yeah. you look at that. And then you've got those other players in the mix that can can cause the upsets. And even when you look at Marwan El Shabagi now working with Rodney Martin mm. and the way he's suddenly starting to, he's starting to fancy it again. You know, you see him in matches and he's not rolling over easily and wow. and he's he's knocking on the door and very close to getting through and of course Dazuki was also playing playing great yeah. stuff just at the last one in the Egyptian Open so there's there's a lot of surprises that can be had in the earlier rounds leading through and of course you see some of the really tough matchups and then and then you, you obviously throw in um Tarek Moman into the mix as well and the fact yeah. that you know he's he's one of the experienced campaigners on there, but I I watch it, watch him in astonishment at the fact that you, you cannot tell that there's miles on the clock there in terms oh, of his wow. body the way the way he skims around and gets around that court and into the corners and stuff. So um, it really is open for for people knocking people out and then for a few to to really look to claim the titles in the men's and then. The women's, what I find, what I do find surprising and amazing is that Norel Shabini wasn't mentioned in the in the build-up yeah. when you were talking about it. So, well, for sure, yeah, I, I don't know how I how I left her out of that. Uh, yeah, yeah, but, but to but, me, I mean, to me, when she's healthy, and I, I said this on a previous podcast, when she's healthy, she's the in my I in my view the best player in the world. But yeah, 
I mean, I mean, she is, and and when she's moving well, what I would say is she was moving well at the last tournament in in front of the pyramids, and you know, Haniel Hamami was able to to beat her. But I think what's quite exciting is is obviously El Shabini is clearly working on a movement with Gaultier. It's another exciting sort of partnership between the two of them. So it's a, it's a bit of a watch this space to see what's going to happen there. So I'm so I'm looking forward to that, especially if Shabini keeps her keeps herself fit and healthy, especially when you watch the her performance at the World Tour Finals and at the World Championships. I mean, well. World Tour final, she was on a different level, you know, when she actually yeah. got got in, got through the gears and started playing the way she sort of took out Goha in that final. Um, and then, of course, you've got Goha, who's as consistent as ever, demolishes people on the way through, but now seems to be setting up that great rivalry between herself and Hamami, yeah. which is just going to make for, for captivating viewing. And, of course, you've got Rodney Martin there steering the... The, the Goha ship. And then, of course, on the flip side, you've got Omar Abdulaziz, who, of course, worked with Goha all that time through her junior careers, career, now in with El Hamami, now that Haisim yeah. Afat has moved it's to America. Like so soap opera there. It's just brilliant, isn't it? It, it just, <laughs> yeah. you know, it should be a drama. It should be captivating. It should be um, something that we all want to watch, the way we're going, waiting to see what yeah. happens. And I think I mean, that, that was the match that I I, I had to choose because I, I, I had to go out. So I, ch- I chose to watch the, the ladies' final, uh, and it was captivating, absolutely. Uh, a, bit, yeah. a bit of a, you know... I don't know what what happened or, uh, you know, what, what the backstory is with, between the two of them, but uh, there's no... Yeah, it goes without saying, no love lost there. Uh. Yeah, but they're, you know, they're fierce competitors and they are both after the same thing. They're they're both after that number one spot. They want to keep, you know, they're they're fighting for that one spot. They're they're looking for titles and they want to make their mark. So, you know, they're they're two very determined characters that that are clashing. And that that in itself, when you've got two two players of that calibre coming up against against each other and butting heads and and looking to perform at their very best, they're going to just keep eking those levels up. And of course, you've now also got um, Sobi, who's moving better than ever on the squash court, um, yeah. playing. So she's getting closer. And then you've El Tayeb is back where she belongs in yeah. the, the top, I mean, <laughs> top a, of the ranking. Banana, I would, wouldn't even call her a banana skin. I mean, she she gives everybody. She she could beat any of those girls. Yeah, I mean, Sobi was back. immense to take her out on the traditional court yeah. at the Egyptian Open the way she did. Yeah. I just saw uh, she she has such great hands. I mean, she can you know, when she has the chance to volley, she can, you know, drop it, ball, uh, hit it straight back. She she has a great hold, and like you said, uh, uh, she's moving uh, so much better uh, now because that that was a little bit of a liability there, but obviously she's been you know, working on that. Yeah, and she, I mean, she's so powerful as an athlete, isn't she? The uh, the yeah. fact that she takes the ball early, she's aggressive, she fires it in, she looks to follow up on on the volume behind. It's it's quite a destructive way of playing that that can unsettle you. It's the same as when you look at Tired. Mm-hmm. You know, she plays in a way that that uses lots of angles and it unsettles the rhythm and it makes it uncomfortable to be on there. So when you see players that are bringing that to the court, you can never never settle down against them. It's always going to be uh, difficult to sort of get through. Yeah, and I'm just wondering how her leg is feeling right now. Uh, <laughs> I feel sorry for the racket. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I she, mean she was gracious in defeat after she got uh, that out of the way. Yeah, and and also she, um, 
she realised. She obviously says afterwards that you know she she could lost control, and it's not something that she should be doing. So I think she she acknowledges that quite quickly. It's just um, in the moment she couldn't quite control it. Yeah, for sure. Now um, I, I wanted uh, you know got you here. Um, wouldn't mind talking a little bit about some officiating stuff and some real some good news. I, I think in a lot of ways uh, in in different aspects. First of all, I think uh, just generally last year. Uh, there's a big move to get players to play through interference and to play the ball uh, more. And I think that reflected in uh, a lot of the changes that you and, and the officiating team uh, implemented at the end of last season and now on into this season. Uh, what what just generally do you have to say about that in terms of any uh, of the overall changes that have been implemented? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's tough and it's ongoing for sure. You know, the everything happens so quickly at pace in a confined area. Um, so, so there's a lot going on and a lot for the the referees to be able to watch. But WSO and World Squash officiating is taking more and more of my time in terms of you know where I'm putting my work and my focus and and effort. And uh, Josh Taylor is actually supporting me. With that, weirdly enough, we were okay. talking about him earlier, but he's sort of come yeah. across into the PSA setup a bit and yeah. is is also offering the support on the WSO. Uh, so we sort of teamed up a little bit again there. And, and of course, we've got Roy Gingell, very experienced referee. So the, so as a, an organisation, we're really trying to sort of help to mould and professionalise refereeing as much as possible, you know, um, trying to capture the referee experience a bit more and trying to... You know, there's a lot of expectancy that's being put on them now. And it's about how can we professionalise it so that they can dedicate more time to their officiating, to to becoming as good as they possibly can be. So that they become, you know, even more well-equipped to be able to um, perform in a high-performing sort of elite environment, basically. So that's sort of one of the major goals that that um, is ongoing that, that I'm working towards. But... In terms of the actual rules and the changes that we've made, it's very much like you say, it's about trying to get the flow, game to flow as much as possible. And yeah. and there is that sort of, sometimes I hear sort of murmurs about the fact of, oh, the, the you know, the referees have been told to penalise this or they should be, fo- they've been told to focus on that. Whereas actually it is the big picture stuff. You know, if you're, if you're talking about, say, the front corners, you have to t- factor in everything because every situation is slightly different. So you have to factor in the starting position of both players. You have to you have to factor in the shot quality of the first shot and then the shot quality of the player that's played the next shot. And then you have to look at how how's that player clearing? Um, how is the other player moving in? And are they making every effort to go and get to the ball? Are they making every effort to clear the ball? Where would their striking point be? in terms of when they actually hit the shot and would they have enough space if they got through to actually be able to to have their options not be restricted with a shot and and what's the intent and there's so many little subtleties in that in those movements of you know do I do I make myself slightly wide do I move towards the opponent slightly and of course if you're if you're giving strokes in those situations naturally a player is pos- probably going to move towards an opponent slightly uh, because they think they might get another stroke because you're sort of steering them that way. Equally, yeah, yeah. equally, if there's no lets given, 
the odds are I might be slightly slower clearing the ball. I might might not clear quite as well because you know you think the 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 referee is going to give no let. So the referee has to interpret exactly what's going on in each situation, and you have to factor in all those different things in a snapshot, and you have to tr- trust your judgment of play of of what you know about the game, and that's why they. No, that's why they do they do study and they do try and watch all these different scenarios and they can break down the the different areas of the court because there's you know the front areas of the court will show up throw up different dynamics to the back areas of the court. So if we're thinking about the back, um sometimes you get where the players are sort of exchanging drives in the back corner and you only need to hold back ever so slightly rather than moving up the court. And if they play another drive, you can then move straight into the back of them, yeah. which which then holds them in, which then makes it look like a, a stroke. But of course, if referees start giving strokes in those situations too often, all we're going to do is we'll, we'll end up with players holding back and moving straight into the opponent as soon as they play a drive. So then they wouldn't be playing drives. So you then have to gauge, did they move up far enough so they can move up and round and circle? in those driving exchanges or have they held back and moved straight into them uh is the player have they hit their target with their drive are they making an effort to clear or are they leaving themselves in the way of so slightly so because there's there's so many variables going on you know with the the ball bouncing around the court conditions the 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 two players moving around the court the different positions no one no one situation is the same but you can have guidelines to try and steer what decisions you give in certain certain areas. And all I try and obviously we we look at this and we we study this kind of thing, but then it always comes back to once you go into there and you're sitting in that hot seat, they have to trust their knowledge. They have to let it go to the background, you know, they, they have to go, right, I know what I know, and then trust that sort of snapshot judgment in the moment rather than trying to overthink it. Because yeah. if you think about all those things that I've just talked about in say a front corner, it's no. gone. No, it's you need late. a computer to, 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 uh, to come up with the answer to those ones. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And there's, there's too many variables. Numbers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's impossible uh, uh, to do, to, to be able to do that exactly the way that you you described it but i think what you said is really you know there's a lot of truth to that to just go prepare yourself just like you would as if you were a player go uh, officiate the match and and call it the way you see it after having prepared uh, so well hopefully yeah there's a there's there's a couple of big things for me i think when when we're looking at matches we go right how can we how can we get the game to flow? You know, can we get the players making sure that they make every effort to try and get through and play the ball if they can? Can we make sure that we get the players doing the best they possibly can and make every effort to clear a shot that they play? Um, yeah. And then the other thing that I think about is, um, in terms of getting the game to flow, is if we're seeing problem areas happening, can the explanations that a referee is giving help solve the situation so that the player completely understands what they need to do to be able to fix the situation rather than it just reoccurring and it happening over and over again. So I think the end goal is always, can we get the game to flow? And what what interventions does a referee need to make to be able to get the game to flow the way that they want it to go? And also the people, the viewing public want to see it go. And of course, there are just lets, you know, that there, there yeah. are, it's, yeah. it's quite easy to go yes, let and, or go stroke and no let 
sort of happy. But there's times where, it's, where you look at it and go, well, it's just a let. Yeah, oh, definitely. I think the flow of play has been has improved dramatically, and and uh, another big change that you guys have that, that was implemented, I think, with the first uh, event was the uh, the the four reviews over four games, and then the one I think it's one in the fifth. Yeah, so, so you get five, but four over four, and then one in the fifth. And I really, I mean, you can just see the guys are, are and the and the and the girls thinking before they decide to review a call and, and and it just makes it look as though you know they they have to think about that clearly rather than just going up and asking for a for a letter or whatever they're, they're asking for um, you definitely can't just shout check it can you that's, that's no. for sure because if you keep doing that you're gonna you're gonna lose all your reviews so yeah yeah yeah, they'll be gone so, in one game. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's something. It's interesting because obviously PSA announced it and they brought it in at the quarterfinal stage of the Egyptian Open. So the one that just went came in. So it wasn't at, at the Qatar Classic. Okay. Um, but so they brought it in at the quarterfinal stages here, and there's quite a lot that goes into it. So the referees have obviously got their iPads when they're 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 the match referee at the back of the court and. As soon as you bring in a change like that, it then changes the buttons that they have to press and also the wording that's coming up. And the it, it just switches the, the process ever so slightly. So so immediately that's then something that they need to go away and practice uh, on a on a practice or a spare iPad leading into the matches that, that evening so that they don't spend lots of time just looking down at the the iPad. So there's quite a lot that goes goes into those sorts of changes. But then you're right. I mean, obviously, the fact that there's only four in a match makes the players have to think about when they use them. But, but what I quite like is the fact that it does give them a safety net. So, you know, sometimes a player will review early on in a game, at least then when it gets to sort of 9 or 10-9 when it's in the business end, they've got that safety net of being able to call on another one should they think, right, that was yeah. that was terrible, I need to review this. Um, yeah. So it gives them that safety net, whereas before it would be that case where the decision comes and everyone goes, oh, no, they've used their review already. They yeah, used yeah. it at level in the, in the fifth or well, in the fourth, because in the fifth you've only got one anyway. That's right, yeah. But, yeah, at level in the fourth and they've used it and then, of course, 10-9 in the fourth, they can't use it and it's game done. So... There is that safety net for that, which I which I like, and mm. like you said, it's just that you have to think tactically about it ever so slightly. So, um, I mean, it's still watch this space. It's a trial. Let's see what what changes it brings. Obviously, U.S. Open and NetSuite is coming up, whereas we're going to see more fallout from it to see exactly how it's operating and the difference it makes. But I think it's quite positive so far. Oh, definitely. Uh, everyone I uh, on on all the squash forums, uh, squash stories, uh, everyone I've spoken to seems to think it's a really positive uh, move. And uh, you can just see during the matches, like I said, the guys and the girls they're they're really thinking thinking it through before they uh, before they ask for something to be reviewed. I think it was Asal. Was it Asal who uh, put his hand up and then? Yeah, he did review that. It looked like he, yeah, he did review it, and yeah. then yeah, the, the issue is, you know, probably someone, you know, someone in maybe his dad, uh, shook his head and told him don't review it, but it was too late, right? Yeah, so I think once you, once you do indicate or ask for it, you know, so if you do say check it or you're you're pointing that you want it, then then it should go to review immediately. So yeah. so the 
that that's the other one i think it's trying to calm those situations down ever so slightly in terms of the sort of the shouting or the the requesting yeah. it and just get get people thinking about it slightly more yeah, you, there isn't as much shouting and as much uh, whinging. I don't think uh, these days with, with the with the review system in place, even the way it was before. But now even more so uh, because because sometimes that can take away from from the quality of a player's game. I mean, you you get these guys that they're so talented, but then when they start whinging, it kind of takes a sort of takes the shine off of their their squash a bit. Yeah, it it does, but you know, it's one of those ones where you do get it, don't you? Because sometimes people just get it wrong, and and yeah. you know, they, they, there's a lot of emotions running wild on there. So, so you sort of you get it, but then you also you want to try and put in measures that help to to calm that and to, and to prevent it, so that we all get the the, the matches that we want to see, and we get that free flowing squash, and we get you know. The competitiveness, but and and I, I think you need personalities and characters in there. Yeah, but then you, you also need to have it needs to be controlled to an extent where where it's not out of control. Yeah, I do miss uh, the days of Jonathan Power and uh, <laughs> uh, uh, the David. Well, one of the worst. Uh, you remember that situation where Palmer pretty much threw Power through the wall, the, the side. Right. Yeah, I mean we haven't seen much of that. Uh, over the last few years, there hasn't been really anything aside from maybe uh, Gohar and Hamami there at the end of last year. But uh, yeah, don't don't give people ideas. That's for sure. <laughs> no, no, for sure. <laughs> no, but uh, but we do. I mean, like you said, you you want some personality in there, and there are a lot of great personalities uh, on the tour right now. So we want to keep that uh, in the game. We won't. We don't want to muffle it or stifle it. I, I don't think. No, definitely. I mean, it's exciting when you've got personalities and you don't want everyone to be the same, do you? That's that's for sure. Same as we were talking about styles. It's the same with with personalities, with what they bring to to the court. So you want people to be able to express themselves. Um, so, so it is exciting. And it's just one of those ones where you just have to make sure that it's within parameters so it doesn't get out of control, I think. And then and then that's when you get the the sort of the really exciting mix of what what everyone wants to see and wants to watch. Yeah. Now, uh, I might be asking you something that's out of your jurisdiction here, Lee, but, uh, you know, the, this last event was outdoors. It was uh, with, you know, aesthetically, the uh, the pyramids are in the backdrop. But I think quite a few uh, of the players were not very happy with uh, the playing conditions. Obviously, the, you know, it was you could see how windy it was uh, out there mm-hmm. and a lot of sand you're in the desert you've got sand obviously uh, in canada actually at the nationals this year they had the outdoor court with the the rock the mountains in the backdrop it was beautiful but uh you know they had rain delays and uh, uh shadow issues mm-hmm. on, on the court so i'm just wondering um is is it is is it something you know just a simple thing of you know find a venue an indoor venue that's absolutely amazing like like grand central or some you know a theater and put the court in there and, and maybe have exhibitions or, uh on, in an outdoor court at, at the, the type of venue that you have there with, with the pyramids or is it something you need to rethink and keep going keep trying uh with these outdoor venues yeah i mean obviously this is just my personal opinion it's nothing nothing official but i think it's quite hard to turn down the pyramids in terms of a, a venue and a spectacle, so I think it's it's massive to be able to have the pyramids and have the court in front of the pyramids. So I think that sort of has to have some some sort of leeway. 
What what's what's interesting is is that we obviously use the glass court here at the Egyptian Open this time in front of the pyramids, and we also use the glass court outdoors previously at the World Tour Finals, and it played immaculately outdoors. There, there was no slipping. The ball, you know, the ball was very true. It does sit up slightly more, but with enough cut, it takes a nice short shot. It dies in the back corners, but so so then that makes me think that. It was probably the sand more than anything that was making the the difference um, up at the pyramids with the with the wind gusting and the sand coming on. So you know, in hindsight, you look at that and you go, "Well, yeah, they probably." It's one of those ones where we just have to accept that there's going to be more stoppages where the the court's going to be wiped because it gets a bit dangerous because of the sand rather than anything else. But then it becomes that sort of balancing act of you know, is it worth doing that? just for this one event because it's the pyramids i'd say probably yeah um mm. and then and then it's one of those ones where if it's if it's working in other areas but not there then it's okay i guess in terms of all the other arenas so it's going to be an interesting because obviously the world tour finals it worked well yeah. um so the next time it's outdoors with the glass court that isn't in the sand where it's blustery and a lot of sand coming on the court i wonder whether we'll have the same problems or not because I mean, that's what the glass court's coming in for—the floor to try and try and fix those kinds of things. Right, right. Yeah, just uh, I mean, in terms of the the quality of squash, uh, you probably you, you want to see the best squash being played, mm. and uh, I guess that you'd you'd get that definitely on on an indoor court or an indoor venue, or maybe just a in a setting outdoors where you you wouldn't have uh, the issues that they had in um, in Egypt last week. Yeah, I think I think you've got to be really careful I mean, you, when you put a court outside. That's for sure. You've got to really think about it, and you got to weigh up the pros and cons. Yeah. Um, and I, I would just look at it and go, well, it's one of the seven wonders of the world. You can you can showcase that and show it off to any other sport that probably doesn't doesn't hit that mark or get anywhere close to it. So it does give slight bragging rights. And maybe as long as you don't have too many like that, and as long as you maybe cater for the fact that you're going to have to have the court wiped more in that instance. Then, then, then I think you you still see the positives still outweigh the negatives. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I do think that that obviously the player safety and the quality of squash is is also huge. So, I think I think it was just about okay. I think obviously you got to be careful with when it comes to people injuring themselves. So, yeah, I get Mr. Bach uh, was probably impressed. Uh, You'd hope so, wouldn't you? You'd, ha- you'd obviously that. That's there's been a lot of talk around that as well, hasn't there? Yeah. But um, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, some people get you know put a negative spin on it. No, definitely not. You know, he came, he saw. Uh, uh, it was a, it was a great. You know what he saw. What it was Dasuki and um, Cole. Cole. I mean, uh, you couldn't have asked for better squash. Uh, two different styles of play. To I mean, they played very professionally out there. Uh, it was a great sort of a, ex- a exhibition for for Bach to see I think uh, yeah I mean they dealt with it brilliantly as well didn't they because they, they you can't forget that they were just about to go into the fifth game and everything got got stopped yeah, yeah. and held up as all the sort of the the people came in uh, and then they got on with it and they played and then when everyone left they they just kept focused on what they were doing and then yeah. and got on with it again so you have to say there's huge credit to to Cole and Suzuki in that instance. And also they clearly understood the situation as well. So I was very impressed with the way they were able to focus and, and just keep on, on with it. 
And then I was looking and going, well, obviously you'd want someone like that just to go, well, you're in now, just stay for the whole game. But yeah. equally, I, I look at it and go, at least, at least, you know, he had the option of turning up or not. He chose yeah. to turn up. He chose to sit there with his with with the others, with the sports minister, and watch it. Uh, saw the court in front of the pyramid. Saw a closely contested match between two great players, and you yeah. know, I think it, it 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 definitely does the game justice. Uh, whether whether that makes him put it in the Olympics or not is another matter. But but um, I think I think you know, if you're looking at spectacle, you can't get much better than that. So, and I, I thought the did. players did great. They did a great job, uh, and you know the squash was at the highest level. They behaved themselves. Uh, I don't even know if there was a letter uh, during the time that. Uh, I think mean, there was one, wasn't there? If I remember rightly, I think there, there, there was one because I remember it. it yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember but, one. Uh, I think. But it was handled well, uh, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, now I just want to get back to Let's and Strokes, and you were probably you're probably expecting me to ask you something about uh, Mustafa Saul and and uh, his issues. He had some. Uh, I think it came back uh, to haunt him again this time. I'm a big supporter of his. Uh, I think he's super talented, uh, and sometimes uh, you know I put the blinders on and I say, oh, he's not doing anything wrong with his movement. But uh, I think this time around there were against Farag. I, I could see a few issues there, especially the one where he was kind of standing straight up. Ali was coming across him and it really looked like he kind of just stuck his leg out uh, and a little bit, but in one of the videos. So I'm just wondering, uh, just in terms of uh, that that match and, and his issues with movement, uh, what did you see uh, going on uh, there? And was it was the uh, the con were the conduct warnings uh, warranted in your your estimation, Lee? Yeah, well, I, I think um, I mean obviously there's you you can uh, you can pull out any matches, can't you? And you can look at certain movements and break them down, and and you look at it and you go, just sometimes there's situations where players just get it slightly wrong, you know, and you you have to look and you go, well, yeah, you know. I got it slightly wrong. I need to to shift that or change that slightly. And it's one of those ones where you look at it and go, even even if a Sal didn't agree with it, or or a player doesn't agree with the situation, if you're in putting yourself in that vicinity in that way, you're leaving it very much to the interpretation of the referee. So then all of a sudden it it comes down to the referee whether they see it or not, whether they think it's bad or not. And also whether what consequence they want to give. Do they, you know, if they do see it, do they go for just a stroke against them or a decision against you? Um, do they see it as worse where they suddenly go conduct stroke, conduct game? So so I think just by when you make sort of small judgments where you do make a mistake or you leave something in the way or or you don't quite get it right, you're then putting yourself into that situation where, you know, where a player might catch you and might you might be tripped up by the fact you're in that situation and then all of a sudden you're then you're that you leave yourself in the hands of the referee and in the hands of others and yeah. for me for me when you watch us he plays his best squash when when he's he's hitting the spaces he's getting that ball moving away he, you know when the rallies are continuing and he's the players are getting through cleanly that's that's when he's playing his most effective and Im impactful squash. Yeah, um, when when he's avoiding that these issues that that keep coming up to haunt him, when he avoids those, 
especially in matches where he's not really threatened as much. That that's when he plays his his best squash, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, completely, completely. So that's that's what you know he needs to strive for. Is he needs to to look for getting those situations happening as much as possible, so that he doesn't find himself in a position where you know, he is at the mercy of the referee and the the discretion of the referee, where the referee is going to judge whether that contact was was severe or not, whether that, that contact should have happened or not, whether the, you know, whether it warrants something more than just, just the decision. You sort of have to take those situations out of the hands of, of the official, really. Mm. Yeah. Um, so, that, you yeah. know, and that that's that's where I sort of stand with it. I wouldn't... I wouldn't want to judge. I wouldn't want to judge, you know, or get into the mind of Sal. I wouldn't want to get into the mind of Farag in the situation um, because it's impossible. But only they know what they're they're thinking and doing in those situations. And I also wouldn't want to, you know, because it's very much the interpretation of the official and the referee and what they're seeing, you wouldn't want to undermine that either because you just look at it and you look at the facts and you go, well, well in that situation that happened and it happened because of that. Now, what do you judge the severity to be in that situation? And as a player, you have to take yourself out of that and remove that possibility so that it can't happen moving forwards. Yeah, I was talking, uh, I mentioned earlier to Abdullah Al-Tamimi and he was saying, and you were you were a top 50 uh, player, top 50 ranked player yourself, so you would know uh, there are things that even officials and when we're watching in the gallery that uh, that we don't see. Uh, and he was saying, like, when you're up that close and when you just know when a guy's kind of like he's just edging his shoulder a little bit or he just moves into the path of your 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 path a little bit. But it's something that that uh, even the referee can't see it, but you can see it. And that, that I'm just wondering, is, is that maybe was that the case when uh, Ali kind of went off a little bit, it looked like nothing happened. Like he, and then he, you know, he was throwing his hands up in the air and, you know, uh, saying that Frag had, had tried to trip him. Uh, or is it the, or is it the case of maybe Ali, is he looking for that to happen? Is he actually trying, is he, is he looking for, for that to happen in order to get out of trying to get to the ball? Well, it's hard to it's hard to say that he definitely is or definitely isn't, isn't yeah. it? Because it's one of those ones. I, you know, I shouldn't I shouldn't say just <laughs> Ali uh, uh, because you know he's a, probably the fairest guy out there, but uh, um, just in general. Yeah, and you yeah, and also you can't jump into their minds and go, yeah, I'm doing this on purpose or I'm exaggerating it on purpose or it, you know it's impossible for us to know was the contact there enough or or not because. They're saying, you know, players are saying you can't see it. So then you're going, well, if you can't see it, how can we judge it? You know, how can we, if we, if if you can't see something, it's very hard to do something about it because you can't see it. And that's yeah. that's one of the major sort of things. Obviously, when you're when you're playing people, and anyone knows when they're on court with anyone, when you're sort of there'll there'll be some players that you're brushing more or you're you're bumping against more. Than, than other players and and that might be contrast in styles in in body shapes in movements might be left hand right hand those sort of things so it's one of those ones where you can feel it but but actually if you can't see something it's very hard to ask someone to do something about it is what I would say yeah 
Yeah, for sure. Um, that's just sort of what he was saying, uh, Abdullah mm. was saying that, you know, there, there are little things that, you know, you don't really see, but you feel uh, as a player. And I, I kind of, I think I know what he means. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you you obviously get that a lot with, you know, certain types of players and and what have you. I mean, I've not, I've probably been fortunate enough not to to be good enough to get on court with someone like a Sal because it wouldn't have been pretty. I'd I'd be off quite quickly these days. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, so there's it's impossible to say until you're on there experiencing it in in a way, I guess. Because like they say, if if someone like Tamimi is saying, well, I, you can't see it. So well, if you can't see it, then you know what can you do about yeah, it? It can be. I guess it's just minimal then, isn't it? And that that would be that would cla- be classified as minimal interference, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you should, you yeah, should, should try to play through it. Yeah, is it? It's tough, isn't it? It's tough, especially when you get very big, powerful players on a, on a squash court as well. When yeah. because a small nudge for someone when when someone's big is they can knock you they can knock you flying when they're big and powerful. You know, yeah. and there's oh, yeah. there's some very big and powerful players on the world tour right now. Asal's probably the biggest of them all. I mean, he's just he's massive and. Uh, the way he plays, I mean, he's lun- his lunges and he's so quick to get back off of that that lunge and the the space that he takes up just getting to every ball is unlike yeah. anyone else on the tour. And also because because of that, because you know he has he, he is big, he has got long limbs, he's very explosive and very powerful. It then also takes quite a lot for him to learn how to make sure that. He's making himself smaller than he would do normally, you know, because it's a skill in itself to work out exactly are you moving inside or outside? I, you know, which way is is someone like a Farag or a moment, which way are they skirting around you? So you 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 know, when you're when you're big and powerful and you've got long limbs, you've then just got to you've also got to train yourself. If you're you keep having recurring problems, you then have to go, right, how do I solve this? And how can I move in a way that that this doesn't happen? Where where these you know these these sort of comments aren't being made about it, and referees don't have to make decisions. I don't leave it in their hands. So you yeah. then have to learn a whole way of sort of clearing and moving so that so that you stop those. And of course, that takes that takes time and effort and focus as well to be able to do it. I think uh, you know, as a as a fan of his game, you know when he's playing great squash, it's it's really it's amazing to watch. Uh, I'd like to I'd like to see him play like that. I'd like to see him let his squash do the talking and and you know get the movement stuff taken. Uh, yeah. care look, of. I mean, look, he 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 doesn't want what happened at the Egyptian Open to happen, does he? Like, if yeah. you spoke to him afterwards, he's going. He would be going. What a nightmare! That that was a horrible experience. I don't want that happening again. And. Yeah. And, and Lee, you know, what, so, what would you do? I mean, uh, uh, I know I, I know Mahmoud listens to my podcast. So, so yeah. uh, what would you advise uh, 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 Mohammed, uh, uh, Mustafa to to do in terms of treating uh, the these movement issues? Just to, you know your personal opinion. Yeah, well, I, I just think you have to, like I said, I sort of answered that a bit, I guess, in the sense that you have to take away those situations. So you have to make sure, even if it means you over-exaggerate in the the other way, mm-hmm. where you actually, you know, you play a shot and then you go, right, I make myself, you know, you make yourself slightly smaller than you really need to mm-hmm. so that there's clear space through. Or or when you're, you know, when you're going in to play a shot, you, you just make sure you go slightly 
further round, you know, like a Peter Nickel used to do, where you just go, yeah, right, yeah. I'd just get myself into a, a position. Yeah, he, and hit he was it. the so, best at that, wasn't he? He would just go, Oh, completely. Yeah, yeah. Completely. He'd just go right around you. And, you try and get in the way of yeah. him, and he's sort of skirting around you and playing the ball. And he was so smart about it because then he was in an advantageous situation because you were out of position, right? Mm. Yeah, completely. I mean, obviously, they're different body types and different movers and stuff. Mm. So, so it's it's easier said than done. But I would definitely be thinking about how do I remove those situations so that 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 can't happen. I take it away from my opponent, from the the referee. So it could be focusing on making sure you're hitting you know good decisions good targets and good decisions choice of shots when you when you hit so you keep the ball into certain areas so you make sure that when you think that you might be slightly in the way or you might be in the way next time you make sure that you just pull yourself in slightly more so you know you're not talking huge amounts of work you're just making subtle little movements that that take any kind of thing out of the equation and that's what what I would be thinking yeah, I hope uh, Will Mahmoud, uh, if he's listening, uh, and uh, Mustafa, they'll they'll take this, and uh, next time around we'll see uh, some or fewer uh, confrontations with the ref and and with the players. But uh, yeah, but we've great. also seen less as well, haven't we? Yeah. So to be fair to him, you know, you look at Elguna, there there wasn't huge amounts. Oh. Then World Tour Finals, there was you know there were only little bits, the same as you would see with most other players. So it, I would say it's probably a work in progress, but you know the. the if he can keep working on it and keep removing those things, I mean, that's what, what his goal will be. Because I'm sure, win or lose, he will want to come off court and go, that was a great match. You know, that wow, that was a great match. That was good fun being in. Yeah, yeah, I'm disappointed I lost, but it was a great match. And, you know, I think that's what all of them want. And the players get frustrated when they, can't, when they come off court and they can't say that. So I think, the, you know, it's every player's mission to be able to be in a match where you come off and you go... Cool, I gave everything there. That was brilliant to be part of, um, yeah. and you you sort of remove that other bit. And and I think I think we're all working towards that goal. It's just sometimes we don't get there, and sometimes there's clashes, or you know there might be controversial decisions, or or there might be controversial movements or shots or things that happen, and and it sort of adds to the dynamic of the game, the excitement, the uncertainty of the game. But unfortunately, in those moments it's very emotional and it's very sort of uh, stressful for, I guess, for everyone involved. So you, I sort of, you, you can empathize for everyone involved, I think, in those situations. Now, so bodes well, Lee, I think. Yeah. Well, it's not long, is it? The uh, next week starts. Yeah. So it starts tomorrow. And then of course um, you've got the US, US Open. Open. Yeah. So that's, that's... going to be exciting. It'll be great to have uh, the game back stateside. I know they're, they're uh, chomping at the bit uh, over there. Yeah, definitely. So it should be um, should be exciting. And again, there's some some mouth watering clashes happening mm. quite early on. So it's um, it's going to be a, a case of watch this space. But you know, I think I think everything is ongoing, isn't it? It's ongoing work. It's enjoy the matches that are great to watch. How can we help to problem solve situations when it becomes difficult? And and that's whether it's working with a referee, whether it's talking to a player, whether it's just changing the way we think about things slightly, you know, that it's constant evolution of tweaking and sort of improving and, and yeah. getting better and making mistakes and then learning from those mistakes. Well, I think, yeah, the message is definitely out there though. Uh, the players are, they know they, they want to, they have to go and try to play the ball and, and uh, play through a little bit of minimal interference and keep the, the, the flow of play going. Right. 
Yeah, but again, it's a fine balance, isn't it? Because you don't want to pe- you don't want people, even through min- minimal interference, to be then thrown off balance where they don't have shot options and yeah. and selection. And sometimes minimal interference in one area of the court doesn't cause any problems. But then minimal interference when you're sprinting into the front corner, you can only just skim someone; it knocks you miles off. So again, it, it's very difficult for the referee, but it's down to the interpretation and understanding of the referee to see those situations basically and to read it and that's what I mean about every circumstance is is very different yeah for sure um now before you uh, we sign off uh, Lee is there anything new uh, for for the listeners out there in terms I know when I had Roy on uh, we talked quite a bit about the WSO the website and how anyone can go on there and get uh you know, get a, a certificate of fit and an officiating level one. I think I, I did that. I, I get the level two, I think online. And then yeah. uh, is there anything else on there that's, that's new or uh, with regard to that? Yeah. So, I mean, we're starting to work with, we're starting to work with um, sort of federations and member nations and individuals and, and people now uh, a lot more in terms of sort of the the developing and improving your game through an understanding of the rules you know whether that's being able to do you know workshops so for example there's a workshop coming up with WSF soon which is a bit of a coach education workshop which which will also feature right what are the referees looking for from your players when they're moving like into certain areas of the court and things like that and it's about problem solving and and educating through a knowledge of the rules um and that that's for for anyone really whether it's referees coaches players um countries clubs what teams whatever but it, it's about just going right okay how can we use a knowledge of interpretations of the rules of the rules uh, that understanding to to get better and then i think I think one of the big shifts or the slight shifts and one of the things that I feel quite strongly about is the fact that I think that just learning these things, and you'll know because you've done the the level one, but for me, going up to level one, level one, you don't have to do any practical work. You don't have to become an official. But I think what it does do is it gives you a more of a depth of knowledge behind exactly what's going on. And I, I think about sort of juniors and stuff, and I think about junior tournaments where – a junior has to referee and you suddenly look and everyone's everyone's hiding you've got the, the juniors are hiding in the changing rooms or they're 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 saying they need to ice their leg or they're running out of the club or no one wants to to officiate or ref that next match and a lot of it is because there's a massive fear factor about it because you've not been taught how to do it well you've not been how to do taught how to do it properly you might be refing a crunch match you might be refing someone that that might shout at you, you might be refing someone yeah. that's in two two age groups higher than yours and things like that and so i think that sounds like my league matches uh, during <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah. but yeah. but if you think about it just having that knowledge and that understanding will give you a little bit of confidence and also it's like ending the more you you learn and understand about what's underpinning it and what say referees want from you when you're playing or or what the rules are exactly in certain situations the, the better your experience, the better a player you become, the more informed you become. And I'm actually, you know, I, I feel quite strongly about the fact that I think that the more people that can actually get onto it and do your level ones, the more you're actually going to improve prove your game and your knowledge and the, the whole experience around it and, and get an understanding of what officials are after and what they're looking for and what their interpretations are. And, and I think it's a great mechanism for that. And 
Well, it's great. So, I mean, the website's so, I mean, it's so easy to use and, and the, to get the certification, it's fairly uh, straightforward. I, I'd recommend like even for an, any junior tournament that, uh, you know, that'd be one of the, the perks almost, you know, you can get your certification uh, at the, of the WSO, just, you know, have a, have a laptop open up or a couple of them at the venue and, you know, all the juniors can do it in, you know, after their games or before they play or, you know, e even in uh, local uh, senior events as well. Yeah, I think, I think to be honest, I think any player or anyone that's interested in the game that has a view, that has an opinion, that plays, I think is well worth doing just, just to get that, that depth of knowledge. But the other thing that I think is, is also great for anyone that joins up is the fact that you can get to the video clips and you can look at, you know, you can look at the rules, the the different clips, the different situations. You can look at different interpretations. You can break it up into front, front court, middle of the court, back of the court, and you can you can just find different situations that you're looking for mm -hmm. in terms of what what rules are being given and what the interpretations are. So I think it's a great great sort of vehicle as well to provide you a load of clips in an area of the court if you're unsure of certain areas. Well, Tom, I mean, uh, I just thought of this now. I mean, I, I play a little bit of golf, and uh, if I didn't know the rules of golf, I mean, I'd be screwed, right? Yeah. I, I'd probably be disqualified. <laughs> be picking yeah. the ball up. And... <laughs> yeah, think, yeah. Oh, where did it went in the water? Oh, I, I can just play it again or whatever. If I don't know those rules, I, I'm, you know, I'm going to lose mm -hmm. points off of my score. It should be the same for squash. If you don't know what a lead is, if you don't know what a stroke is, and you're playing in a competition, shouldn't you, I mean – you should be yeah. sort of almost obligated to have some awareness, uh, uh, some sort of uh, way of proving almost that you have an awareness of the rules. And if you don't, then, yeah, I don't know. How, how can you play in a competition, right? I mean, yeah, and it's, it's obviously it's subjective, isn't it? It's like me and you can look at a decision and we can disagree on it, but we'll yeah. both have good rationales for why we think our, our opinion is correct. But at least what you're getting is a bit of a consistent line of thinking where you're you're looking at stuff and you can give good rationales and you go there are decisions where you go well it could be a no let or it could be a let or you know there there are those very close subjective ones but it's the rationale that underpins it it's the the interpretations that consistency and i think wso helps to to give those messages and i i really do think that that if you don't have to be an official to take the level one that's for sure because there is no practical side of it you don't have to suddenly start refereeing um to do the level zero or the level one yeah. it's anyone can do it you can then get in you can look at all the videos and stuff it's not expensive and and all of a sudden you're you're just getting upskilled in terms of your squash and your knowledge you're just improving that ever so slightly so i think maybe a lot of people associate it with refereeing and becoming an official and it's like well it's not all about that. Yes, it, it will help to develop officials, but it's also for for any player or anyone that loves the game of squash. It's great for any armchair quarterback too. I mean, we're we're out there, uh, you know, debating uh, lets and strokes and interference and blah blah blah. Uh, yeah. It'll make those debates even better, won't it? Because all of a sudden you'll be quoting rules and yeah, yeah, and quoting, quoting video. videos and yeah, that, that that that's great. We'd be quoting video uh, stuff from the WSO uh, website, Lee. Yeah, so this the problem is when I start contradicting it and I'm getting it wrong, then it's like <laughs> yeah. Well, that that was one more thing. I it's kind of just came to mind I'll, it, you've been great with your time i'm just wondering just during the psa uh you know squash tv matches uh 
do you condone uh, the commentators, Joey and Lisa and uh, Johnny, do you condone them um, sort of giving their their opinions on a let or a stroke call and, and aggressively or critiquing a, a call of a referee uh, during a match? Uh, or would you rather them uh, just keep their mouths shut? <laughs> no, no, I think I think they should be able to give their opinions. You know, they're they're being paid to be there to give their view. They give their view on on good shots or bad shots or good decisions or bad decisions. They they should also be able to give an opinion on why they think it's it's a poor decision or why they think it's a, a great decision. So I think I'm I don't I don't mind that at all. I think I think it's about trying to be level headed. It's sort of realizing that the referee is doing their best. They might get it wrong sometimes. I do think it would be nice for the referee to have a voice sometimes in terms of why they gave their decision, but then maybe their explanations could do, could do that. Um, so no, I, I don't, I don't mind it. I think, um, I think what, what they can do as well is they're always welcome when we have our daily meetings, uh, events and stuff where we're looking at clips from the previous day, someone like a, sometimes a, a Lisa or a Joey or a PJ or, or a Johnny, they, they might actually come into those meetings and sit down and, and look at the clips and go through the discussions. And then that's where we saw sort of review and look at it and go, well, maybe we could have done that differently, or maybe we could have changed that or, or yeah, I can see that point and maybe it could have been that. So, so they're, they're great moments to do it. And sometimes players come in or their coaches have come, come in in the past as well. And it's a, it's a great way to, um, to sort of come up with a rationale or an explanation and understanding. Right on. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you there. It's all, I mean, Joey and those guys, they, de they definitely uh, know what they're talking about. And uh, it's good to hear their their side of uh, the explanation. Sometimes they, they explain uh, the correct decision that, that a referee has made uh, as well. So um, so there is that that part of it too. But uh, It's always remembering it's subjective, isn't it? None of yeah. us are right all the time, unfortunately. So it's... Yeah, it's that's one of those thing. ones. Squash, uh, officiating is such an an objective uh, thing at times, and uh, we forget that. Mm. There's a lot of grey areas in there. It's just about trying to reduce those grey areas to get some sort of um, consistency and understanding. Yeah. Well, Lee, uh, it's been an hour here. I think uh, you've you've been fantastic with your time. We got to do this uh, more often, though. I think it's been a, a few years, so we'll get you back. Uh, hopefully, if the the podcast is still going, we'll get you back at the end of the season, if you don't mind. Yeah, sounds good. I'd look forward to it. I, I hope you enjoy the the rest of the season, and hopefully, all your stuff and the podcast goes well. And um, I'll be seeing you around. Hopefully, thanks, thanks so a lot, Jerry. Sure. Well, that's episode 231 in the books. A great job by Lee Drew there. He uh, addressed several uh, interesting and uh, perhaps uh, controversial topics there. Uh, the stuff about uh, the outdoor squash is something that the PSA really feels uh, would bring eyeballs to the game and squash in general, and I agree. Uh, however, we have to look out for player safety as well, and I think Lee Drew gets that. Uh, he also feels that uh, the aesthetics are an important part of drawing people to the game so that was his take on that and we also talked about a lot of the rule changes and uh, really appreciate his candor his forthright uh, comments on those uh, topics uh, we've got several uh, great episodes coming up so stay tuned for those just finished one with uh, with the jet Dimitri Steinman 
and he's really uh, moving up in the ranks. Uh, he's had some good wins, some good results of late. Didn't play so well in Cleveland, uh, and uh, he talks about that uh, that event as well. But uh, we have a really good chat, a really uh, fun chat with a new young up-and-coming player. He's from the Rod Martin and Rob Owen stables. I think he's uh, more with Rob Owen these days, but he does spend time in Greenwich, uh, Connecticut with, uh, with Rod Martin as well. So stay tuned for that. And we've got a few really, uh, really big ones coming up. I hope uh, they come to fruition. I don't want to mention any names, but because uh, that's a bit of a jinx uh, I've found over the last uh, few years of doing this. But uh, stay tuned for those. Many thanks for listening. All the best. Stay healthy. Be well. And we will be talking to you very, 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 very soon. And thanks for listening again. Goodbye now.